All right, welcome back to the show. Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. So we're hearing lots of stories of, of heroism emerging from the disasters yesterday, and I just spoke to the mayor of Princeton. This poor town basically just swamped. Spencer Coyne is, is the hardworking mayor there. And after the interview was over, a, a listener alerted me to a local news story about how this guy, at the height of this thing, the town, like the water is rushing into town, this guy is directing traffic. Yeah. He's yeah. he's wearing a, a yellow, yellow vest. safety vest yep. and just directing people out of town and helping people. So oh, I think that is a hardworking mayor there. I think a lot of its stories will emerge of people really stepping up uh, and helping their communities and helping each other in this uh, terrible time. There's a forget the fellow's name in Hope, a pizza owner handing out uh, free pizzas yeah. to stranded motorists and refusing to get uh, money for them. Yeah, and we also we also covered the amazing rescue efforts on Highway Seven near Agassiz yesterday with that Canada Task Force One, yeah. the rescue team going in there huge with those Cormoran helicopters. Unbelievable, man! Like yeah. these huge helicopters just touching down on the on these uh, precarious these, mud these high, flows. Oh yeah. man, highways full of mud and trees, and they're just touching down this huge helicopter. That's amazing. No, it was amazing, and we're gonna, we had amazing footage on Global last night that we continued to, to shoot uh, this story. It's, uh, you're going to see lots of t tales of heroism, but there's also going to be some tragedy that's going to come from this, and, um, and that's unfortunate. The other thing, of course, is that... Uh, when, you, when you say that, you mean like, like so far there's no confirmed fatalities? No, no confirmed, but, but we're receiving reports there may be some in, in one, of the, one of the washouts. There's, there are some yeah. vehicles that uh, are, are information unaccounted for, but we'll see. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah. But, you know, there's going to be lessons that this is the third big weather event in just a few months. Heat dome, wildfires like we've never seen before, and now this, um, which, again, normally we associate mass flooding with the spring. This is the fall. Uh, I think uh, municipalities in pro the province and the feds are going to have to reexamine probably the massive amount of infrastructure we have, which was all built in the 50s and 60s. Now, that's when the highways and bridges were built, by and large, in most areas of BC and they were built for a different climate than what we're seeing right now and I think a lot of this is gonna to have to be examined and, and even a lot of the infrastructure that has been put in place may not be adequate now like the mayor of Princeton told me that they had some bad floods uh, some years ago they decided to build a dike system around the mm -hmm. town to protect the town guess what the water flew the water flowed over the dikes so you know even the infrastructure that's been put in place will probably have to be reviewed yeah, and I think they've got to uh, basically take an inventory, find out exactly what, what you've got, when it was it built, what can it withstand, can it withstand the new weather that's coming? Yeah. Because uh, this is not a one-in-a-hundred-year event. Okay, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth on with Simi Sarah this morning, and she asked him, how is this going to change how British Columbia prepares for these type of events? Here's what he had to say. This is, this, is, this is the kind of situation that reminds us of the importance of emergency measures, the importance of being prepared, the importance of investing uh, in, in, in infrastructure, all of those things, uh, that climate change is real, uh, that these events we know are going to be more common. Uh, and so that's why, you know, the ongoing work that, that is already underway uh, is going to continue to make sure that, that we are doing everything we can, uh, not only to be able to, to, to prepare, but to respond. Okay, Mike Farnworth there, taking the lead role here in the province with uh, Premier John Horgan still recovering from his, uh, his cancer. It's also a part of his portfolio. He does have yeah. emergency preparedness. It's interesting, that, that aspect of the portfolio is a relatively new addition to, to government, just you know, not that many years old. Now it's taking on added importance like we've never seen before. So that part of government... 
I think the resources allocated to, to emergency pr preparedness and reaction is are going to have to be considerably increased in preparation for what's likely to be more big weather events. Okay, the Liberals on the attack against the government saying that there should have been more advance notice to people, there should have been more warning, there should have been a more robust response immediately after the disaster. You know, I mean, s some people may criticize the Liberals for jumping on. Uh, piling on right now as we continue to to recover from yeah. this disaster but i think there are some legitimate questions to be asked about why there wasn't more advance notice let me play this clip for you keith from from the inter from the uh the news conference yesterday to get your thoughts so here is farnworth being challenged by a reporter who pointed out that south of the border in washington state in the sumas area of washington state there seem to be more warning and notice given to more people there bag. about about uh, flooding. So have a listen to this exchange between uh, this reporter yesterday and Farnworth here. Mass officials began, you know, warning residents of a large flood on Saturday and then began sandbagging yesterday afternoon. So why didn't um, residents get uh, a similar warning in the Fraser Valley? I know you said you, you were out there and, and working, but... What, what sort of, why wasn't there that similar communication with said, residents here? At, at the local level, um, they're observing the conditions in the local area. They're making the decisions that uh, impact that particular community and taking the appropriate action. So obviously in the case of sandbagging, that's what's, uh, that's what's required at this particular point. Okay, so basically saying that the system we have in place right now, a lot of it's locally driven. It is locally driven. The other thing is our meteorologists, Mark Madriga and Christy Gordon, were sounding the alarm well before Saturday. Yeah. So this was, an, if you were paying attention, you should have known this was coming. Having said that, I think there's always going to be questions asked about uh, um, post-mortem of just how the response occurred. It happened in the heat dome. There was criticism that the communications weren't strong enough and weren't clear enough. Yeah. Uh, could they have been stronger here? Probably. But uh, again, there's going to be have to be a post-mortem analysis of this because you can always do better. I think you're always, it's interesting, yesterday a, a long-term care home in Merritt was evacuated. Same long-term care home that was evacuated in the wildfires. They learned some lessons from the wildfires. My understanding is the evacuation was much smoother yesterday as a result of learning how you evacuate a long-term care home. And unfortunately, this is going to continue to happen. Okay, let's talk about some other news in the, in the headlines right now, and that is the, uh, the bubble zone legislation in British Columbia. So here is Attorney General uh, David Eby talking about the need for these rules to create these no-go zones for protesters, especially during COVID. Here's what he had to say. I don't know that anyone would have predicted that emergency rooms and children's schools would have been a site for uh, anti-vaccine protests and intimidation. Uh, and so we're not quite sure what people will think of next. Okay, how is this going to work now? Well, it's, it's, it's an exclusionary zone. You can face a fine of several thousand dollars, even jail, if you defy this. Uh, you've got these very aggressive, intimidating anti-vaxxers who've shown up at uh, most recently at Remembrance Day ceremonies, much to the pub public's repugnance of their, of their attitudes. There's no public support for them. When you've got 90% plus of the population vaccinated, this is a tiny group of people. You look at uh, healthcare, 98% of the people who work in healthcare are vaccinated. Uh, just a very low number refused to get vaccinated. And then of that number, there's a subset of these these intimidating protesters. Not everybody who hasn't got a vaccine is an anti-vaxxer protester, but there are a handful of them, um, and they have no public support. So we've had bubble zones around abortion clinics for years and without incident, and we'll see how this works out. So this will ahead. now, it would what, now be illegal to protest at a hospital or a school? Is that yeah, how that's going yeah, to work? Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 I haven't got the exact distance, but it's in the bill how far away you have to be from these yeah. facilities. And it can be extended 
to other situations. It can be extended to, uh, to uh, commemorative events such as Remembrance Day ceremonies. All right, it's Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. Phone lines open. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898, toll free in your cell. Peter in North Van. Hi, Peter. Hi, guys. Um, yeah, I just want to comment on one aspect of getting notice out to people. Um, you know, we have here and our local authorities have made a decision to go with a phone app called Alertable. And, and that's supposed to be how they reach us. Uh, but in the States, I noticed that they push out notifications of weather incidents and things like that through the weather applications and and the bottom line is this i'm getting alerts that get pushed onto my apple watch vibrate and make me look at them ever like every 12 hours from the states and nothing in canada and i've got yeah. apps on my phone thank you for that well farnworth was asked yesterday what about the bc alert system and people may recall how there's been a few times this year where there were tests Mm -hmm. there were tests done on this and you would get an emergency alert on your phone just saying this is a test to make sure it works Mm -hmm. and you know and it seems to be an emergency system be in place like for a large-scale emergency like an earthquake but he was asked yesterday how come that wasn't used yet in this flood yeah and he said well it's his answer was it that's not a silver bullet which i don't think is a great answer but well, as we learned in other instances, apps only take you so far. Uh, the technology is not shared by some of the people who are most vulnerable. If you go back to the heat dome, many seniors died there who have no had no access to technology. They don't have computers. They don't have smartphones. They don't they don't have the, the technology that comes with that type of warning system. Having said that, it is an interesting question why that wasn't used. Yeah, and I mean the waters rose very very quickly. But as you mentioned, there were warnings that were coming out on like Saturday that mm-hmm. we were looking at flooding events. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Diane in West Vancouver. Hi. Just wanted to say, my husband and I, both of us are 80, so we're quite, um, you know, we're elderly. But we were on Drive BC at 8.30 in the morning. We were traveling from Departure Bay, I mean, from Horseshoe Bay to Departure Bay, um, and we wanted to know if the Malahat was open, right, because we were mm-hmm. going to Victoria. Um, there was nothing at 8.30 in the morning that suggested that the Malahat was closed, but we found out from Search and Rescue in Shimanus that, in fact, it was closed. And, you know, that would have been, we wouldn't have gone. As it turned out, we ended up, you know, going to Shimanus, finding out mm-hmm. it was closed, and then having to drive back and get onto a ferry to come home because they had no way of knowing. Was that, on, was was that on Sunday morning? No, that was Monday. Monday, Monday morning. Yeah. Malahat was wow. open Sunday. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I learned Malahat was closed via radio stations. You know, yeah, uh, so, I mean, what the heck? It's, it's, it just um, it's very frustrating, and there was a ton of us in the same situation, lined up in Shemanus, trying to find out what was happening, didn't have any idea that it was so badly flooded that, you know, they had no idea that it was going well, to be thanks for fla- Thanks for flagging that. We'll bring that to the attention of the uh, people responsible. No, I've heard a lot of this. That A lot of people were saying, where was the social media warnings from the, a lot of these government information mm-hmm. accounts that seem to be slow? Let's go to Dave and Chase. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. Hey, this is just a suggestion there. Uh, with the roads and that being closed there in, in Hope and people can't get out or get in, and the same with the Coquihalla, why can't they put some of that uh, machinery that's being used there to put the pipeline in? I mean, they're, they've shut it down right now. 
So why can't they put some of that machinery to, to work there to maybe help clear the roads? I mean, these guys are building roads up on the hillside there. I'm sure they're experienced enough to clear the road. And if it's a state of an emergency, don't, don't we have right to go in and, and at least hire these guys and clear the roads? Well, has Farnworth declared a state of emergency, Keith? No, no, uh, no. but I think uh, locally there's been a, a state of emergency declared in yeah. at least one municipality. Right. So again, this is not a province-wide, uh, it's also not a province-wide problem right now. This is a unique situation where Metro Vancouver is basically cut off from the rest of Canada. We've never seen this before with every single highway out of Metro Vancouver is closed or yeah. had been closed as of yesterday because of slides. Not sure whether the pipe, how the pipeline fits into this in terms of crews and machinery. Well, I mean, you know, one of the things that Farnworth said yesterday was that it's all hands on deck to try and get these uh, these highways open again, including all the government contractors that, that and the mm-hmm. contractors that are in place. So they're working on it. Let's go to uh, Andrew and Kamloops. Hey, Andrew. Hi, good morning. Um, I went to uh, Costco and a few other grocery stores last night to try and buy whatever I could. And by five o'clock at night, um, bread, milk, eggs, all the produce, it was already all gone. Um, and the work I do, I go to different restaurants and stuff like that. They're already running low on food and it's been like 36 hours. Um, is there, is there any hopes or plans uh, to move freight up here? Is there, is there anything that you know that the government's working on? Well, I'm not sure anything can move from Metro Vancouver, uh, towards Kamloops right now. It's, uh, again, the roads are are cut off, which means, uh, the commercial trucks aren't moving right now. So the supply chain, which has already had problems before, this uh, for a number of reasons. A lot of moving parts on a supply chain is just the problems have been exacerbated okay, by this. And I'm, I'm also not surprised to hear a report like that, given that, you know, you've got these large-scale evacuations from the city of Merritt, where you've got 7,000 people mm-hmm. who are on the move, and they cannot use their water. The water system is unusable. So, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that there's a, a run on supplies. Let's go to Anne in Langley. Hi, Anne. Hello. Um, I have a personal um, concern about an elderly couple in just out of Abbotsford. They have a farm, and they are stranded on the second floor of their home. They've been there for two days. She's 68, and he is 87, and he has a defibrillator that he cannot reach. They're isolated, cut off, and nobody has been able to get them out. They've evacuated all around. They have an electric fence around their property, apparently. The whole main floor is flooded. They were told to go upstairs. They've been there two days, no power, no heat, and she has 30% left on her phone. They have a helicopter's gone over. They've tried to get in. Nobody can get to them, and I'm quite concerned. They are mm. friends of the family, and um, I don't know what's going to happen. They in the, uh, are they in the, like, the Sumas Prairie area? Yes, yes, yeah, they're, yeah. Uh, right by the freeway. but not that far from Abbotsford Town, and they're slightly isolated. Okay, thank thank you for that. I will be speaking to some emergency officials from Abbotsford next, so I'll flag this for you. Maybe you could stay on the line, and maybe you could give some contact information, your contact information to one of our producers. 